And, and just to kind of like, um, not to like, I don't want to, um, I don't want to talk about you, you know, like, uh, in the third person as if you're not here, but, <laughs> but, but, but I know that one of the things that you and I talked about, I think it was, you know, maybe several years ago mm. was this idea that I think the shift for me was I stopped asking the why. Mm. And because I feel like it's not for me to know what the big picture is and I'm okay with that. I think somewhere along the way I, I, I became uh, peaceful with that. It's not for me to see the big picture. It's just for me to be as present with, I can't with myself as I can to be as aware as I can about what I think my role is. Mm. Yeah, if I, if I could interject this real quick about that mm. whole notion of sort of uh, cause I think we share that I I've actually, that's a, I have on a postcard someplace uh, that very thing that uh, uh, don't ask why, ask how. Um, meaning, and it's for times of difficulty or confusion to not ask, like, why is this happening to me? But how do I get through this? And so, but that shift, the, 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 if you never have the question of why, you will never know your how. But at a certain point, the why can drop away fully into the how. Yes, that's, that's been my lived experience. And yeah. also to kind of jump off of that piece too, is like, I would say for me, it isn't even the how, it's the what. What am, and, and I turn that back on myself. What is being asked of me? What do I need to learn about the situation? What do I need to perceive in this situation? Wow, all right. I mean, it seems as though, that and and that isn't scary for you guys because once you let go of the why and you just allow yourself that collapse into the how or the what whatever you want to call it you're 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 just you're saying okay I, there is no ultimate you're you're suspended over a bottomless chasm right um you, you never know Kierkegaard's leap of faith yeah I guess so one element that Lisa and I share is that we've let go to a place where we are. We were we let go of our mental, uh, our our. And it's not mental. It's uh, we let go of holding it together. We fell yes. apart. Essentially, we yes. fell apart. Yes. I can tell you distinctly wow. for me, and I know because I know Lisa. For Lisa, arriving at the comfortableness of just the existential, the 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 comfort with the existential dilemma is directly tied to falling apart and seeing that even if we fall apart, not only do we reassemble at a higher level, it actually allows that to happen. So that when we hold it together, we're constricting ourselves in a way that doesn't allow uh, an evolving in a way quite as rapid as, you know, yeah, well, hospitalizations, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sensical states of mind and being, yeah, I've had that. And yet here I am. So, I mean, you know, people can look at that in many different ways and I understand most or all of them, but for my own, um, my own personal narrative, uh, Lisa talked about courage. And I think I, I don't know that I had the, the choice. I don't think I was granted a choice. Me too. Yeah, me too. I, was, I I do think it was grace that carried me through those. Me too. Those elements. Hundred percent. Yeah. 
But I do think that the confidence that Lisa and I have that you notice, Rich, mm. may be tied to the the, the rational, the, 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 the cognitive and even emotional cognitive um, holding it together mm. because we don't know what the alternative. It's, you know, I'll, I'll offer this to Lisa, you know, uh, uh, what does the phoenix or the dragon do? What does it represent, right, Lisa? I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, the Phoenix, of course, I have a tattoo of a Phoenix. Um, and for me that, uh, I mean, Rich, I gave you an earring, right? Do you remember? I gave you yes. an earring of, of yeah. a Phoenix. Yes. Um, it, it has been a very powerful symbol for me because I, um, you know, I'm very open about, you know, my mental health history and, um, you know, I attempted suicide and, um, and in, after that sort of very slow coming back from that, I made a commitment to myself that I would never do that again, that no matter the falling apart, no matter the experience for me, and I'm not making a judgment for other people, the decisions that they make for themselves and for their own life journey. But for me, I knew that that wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't need to do that in this lifetime. That was not my agreement. That wasn't the pact. Um, and so that Phoenix tattoo that I got is literally a reminder on my flesh that, that I will rise again. And that no matter what I'm going through, no matter like if I leap off of the, you know, into the abyss and I land splat, mm. I'm going to whatever is there is going to reconsolidate itself. And it will, I think, Joel, you just so beautifully put it that, um, you know, once that uh, it's almost like the. um you know, they talk about like the broken heart, right? When your heart breaks open, it's like it expands it and makes room for more. And and I feel like that's happened over and over and over again, a multitude of times in my life. Mm. But even more so, what I've noticed of late is that it, the first couple times of surrender were enormous, uh, were just incredible and fraught with a great deal of anxiety and pain and fear. And I mean, it's, it's almost indescribable. I think if, if you haven't allowed yourself to be in that place of, of surrender, mm -hmm. you might not have, have a sense of what that, you know, yeah. sort of like we talked about phenomenologically feels like. Yeah. yeah. Just quickly to just, I mean, yeah, what you're describing and maybe you could speak a little bit more about it is the existential abyss. So could you yes. speak a little bit about that? Yeah. Cause I think that it's that thing that is holding rich to hold himself together. The fear of the existential abyss, the, 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 mm -hmm. the, you know, the unknowable quality of what we are and where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do, and, 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 <laughs> So again, I so if I was asking Kierkegaard and Nietzsche or Heidegger, what what would they be telling me then? I, really, I, I, I more importantly, you guys. So it, it sounds, I, I, everything you're saying to me speaks, you know, um, volumes. I and I, I get why, how having being able to face the abyss. Of, of, of confronting, you know, those deepest aspects of, of who we are 
requires tremendous courage. It sounds as though it requires tremendous strength. I don't know if I could do what you guys did. So I just, I want to add a qualification to this and I think Joel will agree with me, but you know, if there's a difference here, Joel, please. Um, I, okay. So I had this realization, uh, I think it was probably three years ago that I've always marveled at Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, Rosa Parks. I've, and Joel, I think I shared this with you too, that like, you know, I've always admired these people and how do they do this? And, what courage they have. And wow, this is incredible. But I had this epiphany. Literally, it was this epiphany, this awakening moment of it's not courage at all. It is them being in total alignment with who they are and they have no choice. Mm -hmm. So for me, there isn't a sense of, oh my gosh, this takes courage to do this. Rich, when I tell you I don't have a choice, I'm telling you I don't have a choice. Mm. I don't feel like I have, um, yeah. uh, I, let me take that back slightly. I have a choice, but the, but the alternative is so out of alignment with who I am now that that would take more effort and energy mm. to have to construct myself into something that is societally acceptable or that is agreeable or makes everybody feel comfortable, that would feel more deadening to me than to look at that abyss and mm -hmm. say, there is the universe. And I know in the deepest recesses of my being, I know that this is a benevolent universe. And I know that when I take a step off into that abyss, that the universe is right there for me. But if I step into the world of culture and people and institutions and all of that, that is going to be something that's going to be very deadening to me. So, so that's, I guess I would just distinguish about for me, it doesn't feel courageous at all. Because it feels very in alignment with with who I am. And, and at the point now, it, it would feel so inauthentic for me to not be that, mm. um, that that would almost require more effort and strength to, to be in that world than it would be to be kind of standing on the precipice now. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's what both of you are saying, that being true to yourself in the deepest possible sense, in a way, is the easiest thing in the world. It's the Absolutely. The Absolutely. Um, and I think I learned, yeah. and I think I learned that from, you know, studying Gandhi and studying Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, really like trying to understand because I was coming at it from the same perspective that, wow, what courage they had, but they didn't experience it that way at all. We're looking at it from the outside because they were, and not only that, but Martin Luther, it's very, I mean, if you look at their last speeches and their last teachings, yeah. they knew the end was coming. Yeah. They knew it was coming. They prophesied in their own way. They knew the end was coming and there was not an ounce of fear in them mm. because they knew that they were in alignment with their being. They knew that they were here to do what they were meant to do. And the length of time, the, any of those other factors, they, they become absolutely meaningless in, in the bigger scheme of things. And that was a huge epiphany for me, a huge awakening for me. I bet. Yeah. I mean, that sounds a lot like enlightenment. But so how does that, how do you get that? How does that come? From? Where does that epiphany come from? 
It doesn't sound like something that's that you make happen that you can sort of follow a program, right? Mm-hmm. And and like Joel was saying, I mean, right, Joel? I mean, you're saying you almost don't have a choice. It it sounds like you guys are saying you're it it, it forces itself on you almost. No. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that for for me that um two two things. Okay, I had I've had. You know, I mean, I would count maybe three or four that I think were life changing, like life altering epiphanies that I've had. And every single one of them has come at a time of extreme despair, Mm. extreme despair. And I think that that's sort of what, you know, Kierkegaard also talks about that, right? The multitude of despair, and that you can have the despair of just giving up and quitting or you have the despair of possibility, right? Which is a paradox. But I think that like, so I had this um, experience uh, actually in Florida, the trip that I um, went to uh, meet you, Rich, that we, we met, you know, by happenstance. And um, and I um, was sitting on the beach and um had been really like just not in a great place like I was going through a lot of things with my parents at the time and feeling really abandoned and rejected and you know all of those kind of core uh notions about myself were falling away and um were both falling away and being reinforced at the same time like they were happening at the same my biggest fears all of my triggers everything was up okay so I'm sitting on the beach in Daytona and I'm, you know, the sun is setting and, and I literally have nowhere to stay because I happen to be there during biker week, which we know is notoriously impossible to find anywhere to stay. And I'm sitting on the beach thinking, Oh my God, like I, I don't know where to go. I, I literally am sitting on the beach and I have nowhere to go. So I sat there all day long and I'm sitting on the beach and the sun is setting and I see it's the simplest thing in the world. I see this pelican come by, swoop down, get a fish, like the whole scene, right? And I was like, my God, that is fucking beautiful, right? And was just moved to the core and then started looking at the sunset and started looking at the waves. And I was like, my God, this world is perfect literally that's the word that came to mind this world is perfect and then as soon as that thought came into my mind I was like I am a part of this world Mm -hmm. I am a part of this creation Mm -hmm. I am perfect exactly as I am right now in this moment and that was um this was in 2017 I think 27 was it 2017 Rich 2017, 2018, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that was a huge epiphany for me. Mm-hmm. Like for me to be constantly like judging myself, feeling my incompetencies, looking at all the faults that I have and the triggers that I have in this fragile way that I move through the world. I was like, that pelican's not thinking that. That wave isn't thinking that. It's perfect exactly as it is. And I am perfect and I am exactly where I need to be. And it was from that, right after that happened, is when I was like, I need to find somewhere to stay, went on Airbnb for the first time in my life and found Dominique, where she gave me this beautiful painting of the Buddha. 
And that has happened over and over and over again. So when I'm pushed up against the wall in those feelings of deep despair and deep self-doubt, that is when the breaking open has repeatedly happened. And sometimes that that period of being pushed up against the wall or being in the darkness of the falling into the abyss, like the feeling of falling, sometimes it's been more sustained. You know, it's been for months. It's been for long periods of time. But every single time, and I guess just because experientially this has happened, every single time, man, when I come back, I come back with something from the gods. It's like I come back with fire. I come back with diamonds. I come back with pearls every single time. And I wouldn't give up any of those experiences that I've had that have been utterly terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I would not give up any of those experiences to, to, um, for anything because those things that I've gained in that journey are priceless and no one can take them away from me because they have now been woven into who I am. Yeah. Hard to follow that with that. <laughs> that that's incredible. Right? <laughs> that's really incredible. And, and the same with you, Joel. I mean, not the same. I um, but I mean, I, I is that did your life insights? If that's it, almost sounds trivial to put it that way. But did your intimations of truth <laughs> come through? Um, those same kinds of periods of adversity, that's also a bad way to put it. You know what I'm saying? Um, is that, the, is that what, did you have the similar experience? Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, I think that when I think in terms of like the expanse of time and I think in terms of like how we look at like uh, justice or uh, the metering out of justice and beyond justice, mercy, love and compassion and the binding of karmas of individuals. I think of us, the three of us here, I think of like, what are the karmic um, links or they're not even links. They're, they're, it's a bound or a binding. A bind. Bind. I was going to say bind, bound. Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, Lisa and I share uh, different um, some similarities and some differences, um, but certainly um, our, the three of us share a deep curiosity, how that curiosity manifests in our phenomenology, our in, intrinsic, uh, intrinsic uh, emotional and, and cognitive and, and spiritual life, very, very, as we are each different signatures of, of the universe. But, um, you know, certainly Lisa and I, um, through our, just the utter absurdity of some of the situations that we've been in, have been forced to ask, what the fuck? Mm. So deeply. Meant to that, yes. That we've asked the question, what the fuck so deeply? Yes. Something cracked open in us. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know. And and part of that asking that question, what the fuck, um, 
sometimes leads to destabilization because why you're asking the question, what the fuck is because something so fucking untoward happened that Mm. he processed, addressed, assimilated and, and ingrained in a kind of understanding and then wisdom to give to others that when we talk about, you asked me much earlier on, Lisa, you asked me about uh, meaning, purpose, and 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 uh, meaning, purpose, and and um, uh, mission and mission. And so, when I when I look at these, so in another language, Rich, when I look at the traumas that I've had in early childhood and adolescence, um, that have taken me till probably last year to extract the the the. The, the the full content of what I what I was requisite required or as Lisa says, which I'm in full accordance with, contracted to do that I'm contracted mm-hmm. to do certain things in this incarnation before I incarnated I was agreed I agreed yeah. to to complete certain things, mm-hmm. and um, so as I deconstruct the insanity of certain events into questioning looking at them. And in seeing them lose my mind because there was no sense to them, yes. then holding space for them to assemble my relationship with them. What is this yes. to me? Then I begin to find myself in a very deep way. Yes. And then I can ask the, the very deep personal questions with sensitivity. What does this mean for my experience, my soul's journey through this incarnation? You can ask why in that, in that context, why did this happen to me? And if you ask why in that context, you ask why and little bad lit, little, uh, it reveals itself to you. And then you kind of merge why this has happened and what you have learned into a wisdom far greater than anything that eventually gets offered to the community, which is what I feel at a place I hopefully am arriving at now that you know, the, the, the um, experiences that I have now, I, I'm able to reach people who have in varying degrees and measures experienced after I did what I have experienced, but I have a, a key, I have language, a code that I can mm-hmm. break and translate and, and offer them a bridge to, um, to home, to the home within themselves that never changes, but is not always recognized by oneself. And you both feel at home in the world now, to use a Heideggerian phrase, or no? No. Wow. Why? 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 The, oh, that's interesting. Why the difference? <laughs> and so why? Have, Just why? I guess. Some, well, some of this is language. So I mean, some of Maybe. this is just straight up language. But you know, yeah. my my uh, my understanding is one of the most profound um, experiences that I had was such a. Uh, a minor it was it was like a, a blip a, a moment of insight into things that i understood something where uh uh everything is in flux shifting around me and yet it's against a backdrop of an unchanging a non it's i don't uh it's it's a backdrop of uh, what is it about? How do you even describe this backdrop that we are in? That we are, it is all pervading. It is everywhere. There is no place that it does not exist. Mm-hmm. In the Snow Leopard, uh, Lama Govinda says, <laughs> Lama Govinda says, uh, uh, it is close to us, but we are far from it. 
And so that all-pervading nature of, of reality, Buddha mind, or the Christ nature, or, you know, Brahman, uh, uh, you know, it, it just, I can't tell you how, not just that this all makes sense, like, how can that be? But it mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not only does it make sense, when, when you be- begin to pull away the bigger veils, the bigger picture, the bigger expanse, you see a love of a love expressed by for us what seems like a roll of dice. Yes. But is the complete opposite of that. Agreed. So um and what I mean by that is that um it's like we are the die that are cast, but it is known what, what number will pop up. Yes. We don't know that until we have the experience through time in the incarnation after incarnation, lesson yes. after lesson, who, what, when, where, and why we will do what we will do. We won't know that. It is known, but not by us. So how do we know it? The universe gives us these experiences to know ourselves yes. in relation to others as well as ourselves and it, you know, the, the author of this, the, uh, you know, I, I, I refer to the I refer to what some call God is actually, you know, in, in many in many ways with my own kind of sense of like wanting justice. I, I think of God as the great accountant. You know, you don't I can I can just burn all notions of worrying about whether this, that or the other comes back to anyone. There's a great accountant that takes care of all that for me, you know, that I'm actually employed by, but you know, mm. and that you know. But the, the the secret here, Rich, is so are you and so is Lisa. <laughs> I mean, like, there isn't anything here that isn't employed by it. But, it, you know, it's just the vowels hide that from us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, Yidd- there's a Yiddish phrase that um, uh, God is a fair boss, but he's slow to pay the wage. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we sow our seeds of, of, mitzvot and goodness and service but it doesn't come back to us in our own time it comes back to us when when the universe sees and deems it so yeah so i think uh why i said no i don't feel at home in the world um one i think we we all love Rumi here and i i deeply um resonate with the quote we're all walking each other home Mm -hmm. this does not feel like home to me this feels like a um it feels like a part of the journey but it definitely doesn't feel like the end point mm. um and for me home is um that place where i am in perfect alignment with the universe with my highest self that's where home is yeah. And so that's why I say I don't feel at home mm. um, because I haven't manifested that yet within myself. Yeah. How about you? Um, well, what do you think? I, I, I guess I, I, well, you know, and I, I, it depends on, on the day you ask. Well, I mean, again, my, 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 um, I'm, I'm, I'm operating in a much higher spiritual dimension when I'm in the presence of you. Well, literally, I mean, you're honestly, I'm attuned to much more when I'm, when I'm in the presence of, of, of you guys. But I, I, I think 
I, I think in my heart of hearts all the time, um, I tend to feel like a lost soul, but at the same time, and again, this is why, I mean, this is why I feel such a, such a close kinship to you. And we always have, I, I, I sense ultimately it's just that I have, as Joel has intimated, just not, re- I don't know what I need, what it, what it's going to take, but I just, uh, I remind me of, it reminds me of a Hindu, there's a Hindu, a few hint, interesting, fun Hindu stories about, from the scriptures, right? There's a, a prince who gets hit on the head and he's wandering around his kingdom as a pauper, doesn't know where he lives and he's looking <laughs> for home and everything. And he doesn't realize he owns the whole thing. <laughs> um, right. And, and, and it's, there's, there's a sense in which I, uh, or a guy who's sleeping next to the person he loves and he's in his dreams, he's searching for his love all over the world, not realizing he's sleeping right there in her arms the whole time. And I really sense, I guess, in my heart of heart of heart of hearts, if mm. I could just wake up somehow, mm. I would, I, I, I could sense that and see that. And that's why I think what you guys say resonates so deeply with me. So here's something. When you have that thought, when you have those feelings of, am I just wandering in my own kingdom, right? Sink into your body. Where is that living? Get out of your head, get out of the pictures of it, get out of the images of it and really just like stop the thoughts. Mm -hmm. And when I have this, what, where in my body is this living? Drop down. And I think that when you're able to do that, and this is true, you know, hopefully for, for anybody who's listening that Sometimes when we get caught up in these thoughts that repeat themselves over and over and over again, within our body, that can be very helpful and instructive about where some of those resistances are. Perhaps there's an unknown, like by unknown, I mean that we're not aware of a trauma that either happened in this life or that we've carried in from a previous life that might be um, sort of imprisoning that feeling of freedom within our body in that place but um you know I used to really and and you know I mean I think you know Joel and I used to joke about this all the time that I am so cerebral right (laughs) remember Joel (laughs) talk about it all the time and Joel was so good about he's like okay Lisa get out of your head Lisa okay that's great Lisa get out of your head Mm -hmm. and I feel like One of the things that I've always, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing, Rich, because I know that you say this and I know that you've said this repeatedly for, you know, almost the 30 years that we've known each other, but it's very interesting that maybe you're the person wandering the kingdom that he doesn't know that he's, you know, the king of, but I will tell you that in that wandering, whatever you touched in me, that was the thing that helped me to see myself and for me to see my own reality and the reality of something far more expansive and beautiful. And maybe, just maybe, that is your gift. Maybe that is the gift that you are there as a, as a, teacher it's no surprise you're a teacher that that it's the way that you touch other people 
and you might be the blind prophet, right? Mm-hmm. That that you you <laughs> are awakening so many people around you while you yourself might perceive or feel that that you you aren't or that you don't perceive, you know, you don't you haven't you haven't perceived that within yourself. But something is moving through you in such a beautiful and profound way that so many hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of lives of people that you've come into contact with that you have touched in this way and awoken them. And perhaps that is the gift. So I think that's another way to think about this as any idea about what I had about what my gift has, I can assure you has been completely disabused by the universe. (laughs) Completely. And that's been a big thing about ego, right? Like, oh, I know what my path is. And oh, I know what I'm supposed to do. And 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 oh i and even this idea of i'm in this co-creative space with the universe and the universe has asked me to do this mm-hmm. it changes all the time it mm-hmm. changes all the time mm-hmm. and so just i think being responsive yeah. being responsive to the universe and this is sort of coming in and does this feel in alignment with what i need to be doing right now Let's let's give it a try and see. And if this is bringing light and goodness and joy and and anything of of positive positivity to the people that I am in touching in their lives, then, yes, that's where I'm supposed to be. And maybe it doesn't look like me being a teacher. Maybe it doesn't look like me being a writer. Maybe it doesn't look like it. It it doesn't. That is me having an ego is by putting a boundary around it. As opposed to just responding to, yeah, like, uh, it's like a chemical reaction, right? Like it's a catalyst and I need to be ready to to be catalyzed. I I think that's a good way to to say it. Mm. I need to be ready to be catalyzed. 